Hey, everybody. Welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. And we're back from vacation. We are back from vacation. We I'm didn't, still tired. But we didn't take a vacation from you guys. We still kept our upload schedule, which feels crazy. I feel like I haven't sat down to record in forever. We haven't because we had the little preset to upload last Sunday. That's right. That's right. So I feel like I'm slacking, but. You're not. I'm not. Not at all. Feels like it, though. It's because you're exhausted. I know I am Going exhausted. to the beach with four kids for a week is exhausting. I feel like I could sleep for four freaking days, but it was really nice. Really nice. Well, it was relaxing. It's, yeah, you're exhausted afterwards. Plus, it's a long drive. I mean, that was a the damn nine-hour drive each way. And the, when going there, it was 11. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Going there, it was 11. <laughs> and we thought we were all just going to die, but we made it. <laughs> we, made it. we made it. Not to be dramatic, but... Well, guys, before we get started today... Um, you know that we like to shout out our friends, Always. fellow podcasters and podcasts that we listen to and love. And oops, sorry, that was my phone. I'm, I'm going to silence so, all cell phones, please. I'm so rude. <laughs> my bad. And I, then not I y'all, y'all don't silence your phones. Just, just me and Courtney. And then I hit my leg on the table and jolted my mic. I'm just a hot mess, right? But um, today, we're going to be talking about M-Cubed, and that's Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem podcast. So you guys, go and check them out and subscribe to Sam and Paige. Those ladies are so awesome and so funny. They like to dive into the lesser-known true crime cases and mysteries. And guys, if you get down with us, you're going to love them. They have the best sense of humor ever. Like, y'all are going to be addicted. Just, I challenge you to go and listen to one of their episodes, and you're going to fall in love. They're going to be your new best friends. So, check them out for a second real quick. Hello, you lovely people. I'm Sam. She's Paige. Hey. Hey, What's up? <laughs> and with the power of dumbassery, we are M-Cubed, or M3, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. With our squirrely, chaotic energy, we love to do research on cases that make you laugh, cry, and of course, make you go full T-Rex. You know, the level of uncomfortable that makes your arms retract and head attempt to be one with your shoulders. And obviously, the only vocalization is, RAAAAH! <laughs> <laughs> Find us on all the major podcast platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in our dumbassery every Thursday! Seriously, come join us. So, Patrick, you yes. have anything you want to talk about before we jump in? No, I'm really confused because you posted on Instagram some anonymous clue. It was today. a teaser. Yeah, it was a teaser. But the only thing I got out of it was a bar, like a washi emoji and an Italian. So it's like the Italian cereal bathtub. It pillar. was a bar of soap. Yeah. And the Italian flag. Right, so the Italian soap killer. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Bath killer. So, are you ready to just hear the saddest, most unbelievable true story that you've ever heard? I mean, why is it going to be sad? It's sad. Well, evidently, the woman that we're speaking about today is one of Italy's most famous serial killers, and her story is absolutely fascinating. Her name is Leonarda Cianciulli. I had to... Google pronunciate how to say that. That's why you were asking my parents how to say those names. And, okay. I was. I also asked Will to send me voice memos. So shout out to Will. We're going we'll to. Did have he do to, it in his voice or one of the 700 other voices he does? He did it in his voice. So shout out, Will. We're, we're going to give you a cut of whatever this episode makes. 
Oh, oh, easy now. <laughs> it's okay. It won't be much. <laughs> but Leonardo Cianciulli is known to have killed only three people uh, in 1939 to 1940. And I say only because those are pretty low numbers by evil pudding standards. I was about to say, you got to bump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> in comparison to rookie numbers. In comparison to Buddy, Bundy, etc. you know. Um, but don't let her numbers fool you. Her story is super twisted, sad, and fascinating. And dare I say, I'm having trouble believing that this woman is pure evil. But... I'm not sure. I'm not married to either she is or isn't. I'm not sure. So I'm anxious to hear what you guys think after I, I mean, tell people. you her story. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. But we'll, we'll just see. I do want to give a different kind of trigger warning for today. Of course, this is this episode will have the usual murder and dismemberment that we're used to. As per usual. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to speak also about uh, miscarriages quite a bit. And I know that that's a very hard subject for so many people to hear. So Absolutely. we will see you back here next week if that's something that you just can't listen to today. That's okay. We love you and we'll see you back next week. I'm just hoping there's no hoping of dead bodies in this one. No, not in this one. We're okay. So Ooh, okay, good. let's dive right into Leonardo Cianciulli, the soap maker of Correggio. That's where the soap and the... Okay, well, that makes sense because before I'm like, what did this person kill people in Italy with bars of soap? Like, I don't know. <laughs> All I can think of is putting it in like a we'll sock see. like they do in prisons and stuff like that, just beating people to death with it. I can Oh, Jesus, you're so creative. This is absolutely going to shock you, though. I can guarantee you. This is a shocking one. So like every other single one you've ever done. That's why I'm here. It's what I do. So first we need to know Leonardo and where she came from, as we usually do here, right? At the Pudding Always. Pod. Because I think her early life had quite a bit to do with what she became. She led a very sad life. So let's start with how Leonardo entered the world. Because even her conception was seemingly cursed, as some say. Very cursed which is going to be a word that I use often in this episode, by the okay. way. We're into curses and shit today. So, <laughs> so in Montella, Avellino, a small Italian town, Emilia Dinolfi was a girl of noble birth. She came from a family of wealth, and Emilia was used to the finer things in life. One evening in 1893, Emilia attended a dinner party with her friends, and met some of her potential suitors, gentlemen who were also from noble birth. Because back then, that's what you did, right? You married within your class. Oh, so she was looking for other wealthy men to marry. So after the evening ended, young Amelia started to walk home when she was unfortunately followed and attacked by a man named Mariano Cianciulli. Recognize the last name? Yeah, kind of stands out a little bit. <laughs> Mariano uh, who was off his rocker drunk, grabbed Amelia from behind, dragged her into a field, and unfortunately sexually assaulted her. Amelia was in absolute shock. In fact, she was so young and sheltered, she didn't even really know what had just happened to her. She knew it was wrong, though. It was just awful. She returned home, and she never told anyone of the assault. I guess in those days that... If that happened to a woman, you just didn't talk about it. You yeah, know? I feel like in those days, that crap was much more common. Especially seeing as Emilia came from a strict Roman Catholic background. Yeah. I just feel like in the 1800s, it's probably, you know, sexual assaults were much more 
Maybe not more common, but they're definitely not talked about. Oh, I bet they were more common back I mean, then for sure. You yeah. Think about the, the way the world was back then. Men yeah. Basically, whatever Took they advantage. wanted, they, they did. Disgusting. Especially when it came to women. So, um, Amelia came from a strict Catholic background with Italian upper crust rigid views, right, of sexuality. Amelia actually felt that she had committed a horrible sin, which is just so unfortunate. Plus, she's super young. It didn't say how old she was, but you can assume she's probably a young teenager. She's a teenager. I just don't know how young. I mean, she's looking for possible suitors, so she's probably, depending on the time period, I'm going to guess. What, 15, 16? Anywhere between 13 or 14 and 19. It's crazy to me. Maybe older. She could have been a little older. I don't know. Who knows? Just too young, right? However, Amelia wouldn't be able to keep the assault a secret for much longer because she soon discovered she was pregnant. So she was forced to come clean to her parents as her belly grew. And she had to tell them all about her assault and her pregnancy. She expected her parents to be enraged, and they were. But they did something she never expected. They made her marry the man that raped her, Mariano. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. Well, she couldn't. Yeah. Those views back then, even 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 she was raped, she still couldn't have a child out of wedlock. Right, it was just a, exactly. It was like one of the worst things you could ever. It's like you could murder people, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Damn, well, he had a reason." But how dare you be pregnant without a husband? And it gets worse. Mariano, unlike Amelia, did not come from a noble, rich family. He was poor. So after a bleak, unhappy wedding, Amelia's family was done with her. They disowned her because she's no longer nobility. So she's married to her rapist, and now she's just destitute. Abandoned by her family. They sent her off to live with Mariano and never welcomed her back into the home again. She was cut off and went on to live with disgusting Mariano in abject poverty. Fantastic. On April 18th, 1894, Leonardo Chanchuli was born. Amelia was in labor for countless hours and even fell unconscious from her pain more than once. So it was a tough labor. When the midwife presented Amelia with her baby girl after hours of difficult labor, Amelia could hardly even stand to look at her child. Well, she's a, the reason that child is the reason why her life is so bad right now. Right. Not, she's almost not even looking at the rapist, the act of it, but the mm-hmm. child is the reason why everything else, like the rape happened. Right. But the child is why the family was like, oh, no, you're marrying that, mother- you're that fucking guy, and you're fucking done to it. You're and dead it, to us. it's so sad because it's not the baby's fault, it's you know? Cool. It's but never the baby's fault. The baby didn't do anything wrong. I mean, she already resented her baby and all that she represented, well, yeah, you know? Yeah, just like I said. Yep. So Amelia never made, ever made any effort to connect with her daughter. In fact, she made it very known to everyone how much she hated her. Leonardo grew up being told how worthless she was and how she would never amount to anything. Amelia wanted her daughter to basically pay for ruining her life. Yeah. Sad. No matter how hard she tried, Leonardo could never please her mother, so she just really stopped trying. And I mean, what else can you do, right? Like, I can't make you happy. (laughs) Stop trying to make her happy and you'll live your life. She became extremely depressed and withdrawn. Leonardo did. On two occasions, she attempted suicide, unfortunately, and both times were before adulthood even, so she was young. She attempted once to hang herself. She was found, though, thankfully, by someone, not clear who, and they cut her down. Get this. Leonardo's mother 
actually expressed anger towards her, not for trying to kill herself, but because she was unsuccessful in doing so, if you can believe that. No, I believe that was her. Disgusting. I mean. Disgusting. It is disgusting, but at the same time, if she was successful in it, multiple other people would have lived their lives. I know. It's just one of those, like I said in the beginning, just sad all around, you know? It's like we always say, you feel bad for the child because the child is going through all this. We don't feel bad for what she became. Just, but what's going on to her is not her fault. So a few years later, Leonardo tried again to end her life by swallowing, this is rough, by swallowing a bunch of broken glass. Ow. She just ended up not hurting herself, get, I mean, killing herself, but she got severely, severely ill Yeah, for a while. Not a lot is known about Leonardo's uh, relationship with her dad, Mariano. I can assume that he wasn't a stand-up guy because he was a... Asshole rapist. Yeah, poor little drunk. Yeah. But it is known, however, that he was a very absent father. He was always out drinking and carousing, so he just wasn't there, which probably is a good thing. It's probably better than nothing. One evening, he just failed to return home. So, Leonardo and Emilia, her mom, went out to search for him and found him at his usual drinking spot, passed out at the bar, unresponsible unresponsive, almost said unresponsible, <laughs> unresponsive, definitely not responsible, but definitely. still breathing. So he was alive. So they just brought him home. They put him to bed and he later died there in his room, just unattended alone. Good. But before long, Amelia found herself a new husband. This guy was far kinder than her last one, which isn't really saying much, I guess, but With Amelia a bit happier, she in turn beat Leonardo a little less and seemed to insult her a little less. That doesn't mean they were besties, but it was a life was a tad bit less abusive for the poor girl. Thanks for beating me less because exactly, I know. However, Amelia's improved treatment of Leonardo wasn't just out of the kindness of her heart; she had some ulterior motives. Amelia longed to return to the life of nobility she used to have. And the only way she was going to do that was to marry Leonardo off to someone wealthy. Amelia even started looking for noble suitors for Leonardo, but she forgot one key detail. She neglected to inform Leonardo of her plans to marry her off to a wealthy suitor. So Leonardo went off and found herself a man's She actually met someone that she liked very much and had very strong feelings for, which good for her. She deserves it, right? Yeah. She needs to be happy. Raphael, uh, Raphael Pensarti was the lucky gentleman's name. And he was quite a bit older than Leonardo, but that didn't matter to them. They just clicked, right? He worked just as a meager registry office clerk. And although he was far from wealthy, he was literally the first person in Leonardo's life to really ever treat her kindly. So she loved him. Yeah. So she wasn't aware of her mother's plan to marry her off to a noble, noble man of wealth. Leonardo, so she just accepted Raphael's marriage proposal. Like, of course I'll marry you. Now all she had to do was inform her mother of her marriage plans. Oh, yeah. Well, that's gonna go what wrong. could go wrong? Nothing, nothing at all. Well, Amelia was enraged. In fact, Leonardo would later state that she, of course, had seen her mother mad, but never like that. In fact, she was so mad that Amelia told her daughter that she had placed a curse on her and Raphael 
for ruining her life a second time. She's just something else, man. I know she's been through some trauma, but Amelia is just like. Hopefully she killed her mom. But for now, Leonardo tried to put her mother's curse out of her mind and enjoy her newfound happiness. Amelia was now out of the picture and could no longer harm her daughter. However, there was just a nagging feeling that Leonardo had that this curse may just be real. Never again would Leonardo see her mother, but her final words to her never left her mind. This curse would effectively dictate the rest of Leonardo's life, sadly. And whether or not you believe in curses, there is no doubt that a dark cloud kind of followed this woman around for the rest of her life and her family. So just hang on to that curse. because Curses are real, man. I mean, after this, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it might be. They're I wasn't a believer in it, but... So early on in Raphael and Leonardo's marriage, um, it should have been a super happy time. A honeymoon period. But years of physical verbal and psychological abuse had really taken a toll on Leonardo, of course. Of course it did. In fact, her mental health had reached a point where her stress levels would cause seizures. And those seizures were thought to be a leftover symptom of a strange illness Leonardo had Leonardo had suffered from in her childhood. And I'm sure it was left untreated to some extent. A, because her mother hated her, and B, because it was the 18 and 1900s. Well, how the fuck do they treat it in 1890 or 1905? It was the 1800s it of it all. I'm sure <laughs> they probably gave her cocaine and bloodletting and said you're fine now. Take some cocaine about it. Yeah. You have ghosts in your blood. You have ghosts in your blood. We're going to use leeches and give you cocaine and opium. You're oh my fine. gosh. I'm crazy. So to her, this illness was just a reminder of her unloving childhood. You know? She even began to think that this was part of her mother's curse taking effect. She's going to think anything bad that anything comes from, from here on out. From anything that's related back mm-hmm. to what it is, comes from her childhood is going to be part of that curse. Now, Leonardo, like most people in her area during that time, had been brought up as a staunch Catholic. But she began to cling to a new form of spirituality. In her town of Montella, there were many Romanian travelers, or gypsies, as they were, they were referred to. And they shared with Leonardo their spiritual beliefs. On one particular occasion, Leonardo went to a, Ro- a Romani fortune teller and asked her, Am I going to die from the curse my mother placed upon me and my family? The fortune teller told her, No, you're not going to die, not for a long time. You're going to live a full life but a life full of sadness, and you were going to outlive every single one of your children. (laughs) Fucking gypsies. (laughs) They never say anything fucking good. They never say anything good. I was like, yeah, everyone's going to die, and you're going to be alone. (laughs) Shit. And then they steal their wallet. (laughs) Fuck. Gypsies, man. (laughs) Well, just hang on to that. Side note, I don't actually know, or I've never even met a gypsy, so I'm just... (laughs) That's how they're portrayed in TV and movies, you know. He's just a pessimist. <laughs> yeah, I just believe what I see on TV and interwebs. <laughs> in the interwebs. Suddenly, needless to say, Leonardo was beyond distraught. However, Raphael encouraged Leonardo to just, you know, brush it off, babe. She tried really hard to, but Leonardo isn't in the best place mentally and emotionally. So, train yeah, she is. And it just, I mean, that just stuck with her. However, all of that depression and worry was replaced temporarily by joy 
when Leonardo learned that she was pregnant in 1920, three years into their marriage. Unfortunately, Leonardo couldn't get out of her mind what the get out of her mind what the fortune teller had told her, and she began to have crippling anxiety about losing her child. So much so that her seizures returned. So I guess her seizures are really brought on by stress. Her seizures became so bad that she would continually fall and injure herself. And she eventually, unfortunately, lost her first child in the womb she miscarried. Heartbreaking. It's it's horrible because... Horrible. Not only does she lose a child, right? Mm -hmm. It's just an awful thing to happen. But she did it herself to herself. Because she thought about the curse and she, right. she worried about it so much. And then what the fortune teller said, it brought her, she, I know. she stressed herself and gave herself so and then much the anxiety. Piled on top of that. It caused all that stuff to come back. And then the seizures, you know, caused her to miscarriage. And then I'm, I'm sure the guilt from it was just. And then that's the guilt's going to cause more anxiety, the more next depression. Time she gets pregnant again, you know, yeah, all I can see it's like a pattern. Bless you already heart. see the pattern starting. She was just inconsolable after this, of course. Who wouldn't be? And to her, this was just definite proof of her mother's curse on her life. And Leonardo withdrew even more. Yeah, like we said, anything that happens to her, she's going to blame it on the Mm -hmm. curse. However, Raphael, who just, by the way, shout out to him, seems like a great and supportive dude, stood behind, behind her and encouraged her to keep moving forward. In fact, he was like, you know what? This town has nothing but bad memories for the both of us. Let's just move. Let's Let's get out of here. Good dude. That's a smart move. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> Pardon the pun. I didn't mean to pun that when they're the smart move, but it's, it is a smart move. It is a smart move. Get away from the pain. So the couple decided to pack up and move to Raphael's hometown of Loria Potenza, and it was a welcome change for both of them. They were surrounded by, even better because they were surrounded by Raphael's extended family, and for a while, Leonardo's physical and mental health started to greatly improve to the point that she was, for a time, happy. And I wish I could say this is where the story ends, but no. Until they we go, just get until started. They have another kid and probably have another miscarriage. Yeah, unfortunately. So for years, Leonardo and Raphael failed to conceive again, although they were trying. However, in 1922, Leonardo gave birth to a little boy that she called her miracle baby. She named him Giuseppe Panzardi. As you can imagine, Giuseppe was the apple of Leonardo's eye. But Leonardo felt that it was her literal life's work to protect this child, which of course it is. As parents, that's her job, right? But she just took it to a whole she, other extreme. She's going to for two reasons. She's right? going she had the to. the fortune teller tell her that she's going to outlive her kid. And mm-hmm. then of course. She, she grew up with the complete polar opposite of the, like, the worst childhood, right. unloved by her parents. So she's obviously going to do... Like a 180 and you 100 times overboard. So I think we can all agree no one is blaming this she's, woman she's right now. She's going to be a helicopter parent. We, we just, hearts go out, right? Giuseppe was kept home while, unfortunately, while all the other children in the neighborhood could play, which I can totally see that. She's terrified something's going to happen to him. Yeah, yeah. He was beyond sheltered. He was kept near his mom at all times, all, like all throughout his childhood, even into adulthood, like right there. As Giuseppe grew older... Money was getting tight for the family. He's not an adult yet. We're still like in his younger years. Raphael's meager paycheck was barely putting food on the table. So Leonardo set out to find herself work. She had to supplement his paycheck. Yeah, do what you got to do. 
So she found herself a job cleaning up after hours at local local taverns to supplement the family's income. She also, around that time, started trying to conceive again, and soon she became pregnant. But unfortunately, work and pregnancy proved to be a bad combination for Leonardo, and she miscarried again. Sadly, Leonardo would conceive several more times after Giuseppe, but almost as soon as she would conceive, she would lose the baby. Just disappointment and pain and agony after, you know, one after the other. Her luck appeared to change, however. She was finally able to carry a child to full term, and Leonardo gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. In fact, she went on to have two more healthy children after that, a boy and a girl, respectively. So now she had four healthy children, and that it almost seemed like the curse had been lifted, you yeah, know? Seems like it. Her oldest little girl in adolescence, however, came down with a strange illness that no one can figure out what it was. It started with a cough. Then her youngest began, her youngest daughter began to have the cough as well. It was only occasionally, it was like a cold, nothing serious at first. But then the two girls began to have coughing fits. And then they began to be struggling to breathe. Tuberculosis. I was going to say, is it tuberculosis? And then eventually, this is really sad, both girls eventually had fluid on their lungs, but the Pansardis had no money to give them the medical attention they needed, and the two girls passed away. Yeah, that's So sad. Then, shortly after, the youngest son, the baby, still in a crib, developed a strange rash that eventually spread all over his little body, and he was sadly found dead in the crib one morning. Three of the Panzardi's four children died within a day of each other. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. That's horrible. Horrible. I can't even bring my mind to imagine the agony that they must have felt. Like, it's just too much for me to even go there. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Ugh. But as you can probably imagine, Leonardo was, a, was certain that the curse was still killing off everyone that she held near and dear to her heart. I mean, to be honest, who could blame her? Like, I think I would feel that way, too, at this point. You know, and I'm not superstitious, really. Everybody would literally say this was a curse. This is a literal curse. So she is cursed. Even if it's not from an actual curse from her mother. It feels that way. We would still call her cursed with bad luck. or. And just wait. It's like, how can this be real? It's insane. So poor Leonardo plunged into a depression deeper than anything she had ever experienced before. Understandably. I mean, duh. Who could handle all this? However, she still had to be a mom to her surviving son, Giuseppe. He had to, she had to keep going on for him, you know? And she hadn't quite given up on her dream of having more children one day. With the support of her husband and son, Leonardo would soon find a sense of stability. She went on, guys, to have five more full-term pregnancies and gave birth to five healthy little boys. All boys. All boys. Bam, bam, bam. Not one mis- miscarriage. It's insane. She had like 10 kids by the time she was done. And I hate to report that each and every one of those beautiful little boys would die from a sudden illness before they could even reach toddlerhood. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy hell. <sighs> Later in life, Leonardo would say about this time, and I quote, this is her words, almost every night, I would dream of small white coffins swallowed one after the other by the black earth. 
Jeez. So you just feel for this lady. Like, yeah. I, my heart breaks for her. Like she's going to, how is she not batshit crazy at this point? I just want to reach out and hold her, you know, like I really, really do. This woman suffered a level of loss that I think few, if any, of us can relate to. She gave birth to nine level. children. Eight of them died before they were toddlers. Not to mention the miscarriages. I was going to say, yeah. it had four plus miscarriages. And to top it all off, the family was dirt poor, guys. So in the middle of such a deep depression, Leonardo had to pull it together and send herself back to work to support her survi- surviving child, Giuseppe. Because God forbid if he gets sick, they have to afford to pay for that's it. What the, that's one of, some, one of the more tragic parts of it is they were so poor that that's the reason why at least two of the kids died. Mm-hmm. The first two was because they couldn't afford medicines for TB, which I'm sure were outrageous at the time because tuberculosis was a newer a newer disease, I think. It was newer, point. I think. Well, I think, no. I think the treatments 18, were, I think it's been around about them. Well, I think the treatments were still super expensive at that point. I'm sure they were. I'm sure it was only the wealthy that could pay for them. I think this is one of those cases that after all this tragedy, a little bludgeoning and dismemberment is going to be welcome. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get on with it. So, Raphael's extended family were able to find Leonardo a job cleaning a bank in the town of Loria in the evenings, which worked well because she could spend her days with her child, Giuseppe, and then go and clean at night. The job was labor-intensive, but she didn't really mind the work, although she was frustrated at first since the bank refused to supply her with cleaning supplies, and she didn't have a lot of money. However, she was frugal and efficient, so she quickly taught herself how to make her own soaps to clean with. Unfortunately, the money just wasn't enough. And by the time Leonardo bought all the ingredients to make her own cleaning supplies, the family was left with little more than Raphael's meager paycheck to live off of. So she was spending almost all the money she was making just to buy the supplies she needed to make the soaps to clean the bank. Barely break even. Leonardo started to worry about Giuseppe one day needing the medical care that they could not afford their other late children. He so desperately bank. needed it. What if he were to get sick, you know? Probably so, it's the 1920s. So Leonardo did something very out of character for her. She worked in a bank alone overnight. Oh, my God. <laughs> which gave her... I was her, joking. <laughs> I was joking. I know. I hate that you're a lot like her, but whatever. <laughs> which gave her almost unrestricted access to bank accounts and documents, right? So one night she snuck into one of the offices and just created herself a fake account within another account and transferred a sizable amount of money over to herself. That's smart. However, when she tried to return to work the next day, she was immediately apprehended by the police. I don't know how she was caught. How? I mean, I'm sure there's a whole. I don't. I know they didn't have security cameras, but I don't know. It's probably they. Figured it out because she was the only one there. And then when the person came into work, they were probably like, that's not my handwriting. Right, uh, exactly. On these account transactions. And the only other person that's here since I left yesterday was this lady. So Leonardo was convicted of fraud in 1927. And she faced 18 months in prison. To make matters even worse, when Leonardo went in to serve her time, she miscarried her 10th child. She had conceived again and didn't know she was pregnant until she oh. went in. 
On the outside, while Leonardo served her time, Raphael had lost his job and lost his good reputation. He was once a gentle, easygoing guy, but he had turned angry and bitter and hardened and resentful. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the 1920s, right? Everything's about reputation. She got caught for trying to steal and fraud. And this is his hometown. Yeah. His hometown. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to fire him because his reputation's shot because of her now. I will say that she was like, he had nothing to do with this when she was apprehended. But but I know, it doesn't matter. He's married to her. This is just a sad situation all around. You know, it's one of those like, God, Jesus. So after Leonardo got out, Raphael decided, you know what? Let's move again. I'm telling you, he's a good guy. He's like, let's move again. We got to make this work. There was officially nothing left for them or either of them in Loria anymore. So the family packed up and moved to Lacedonia, Avellino, to try to start over again. But the curse, of course, isn't going to allow that to happen. Oh, of course. (laughs) Now, in Lacedonia, Leonardo suffered more miscarriages, unfortunately. However, she also had two more healthy children. So if you've been keeping track, in total, Leonardo had been pregnant 16 years times. But now Leonardo had three children, all healthy. She even had yet another one on the way. Dude needs to learn the term <laughs> pull out. <laughs> I'm just saying. They're fucking dirt poor. They keep losing kids and he's just like, well, let me just keep doing this because I'm not going to learn my lesson. <laughs> oh my God, pull out. Do you wish you could just go back in time and tell him? No, he's... Dude, pull out. <laughs> probably not the smartest man on the planet. How do clearly, you know? Maybe he is. Because he's attempted to have like 19 children. <laughs> However, she hid the fact that Giuseppe... She did never hid the fact, I'm sorry, that Giuseppe was her favorite. He was like her prized possession, you know? Giuseppe was a golden child. Well, he's... he's no he's, doubt. He's lived... First of all, he was the, the miracle baby right at first. Yep, absolutely. And he's lived through everything else. And every other kid that's born at this point, she's like, they're going to die. And whereas before things had been super tense with Raphael, with her tarnishing his good name and costing him his job and all that good stuff, things were starting to kind of settle down between them. But Leonardo still could not forget the curse and get over all the anxiety and fear that went along with that. She was so scared that it was going to take another loved one Mm -hmm. from her. So she did all she knew to do. She sought out a local fortune teller for a reading. (laughs) And I laugh because we all know where this is going. This time, though, the reading was a bit different, although still bleak. The fortune teller told Leonardo that she saw a prison and an insane asylum in her future. I think at this point I would just stop going to the fortune teller, you know? Where the fuck did you go back in the first place? (laughs) I know. She eventually gave birth to her 17th and final child, a little boy. Good Lord. Now she was kind of shocked that she was able to carry him to full term and have a healthy child. No shit, her body's wrecked yeah, at this point. <laughs> she was half expecting another miscarriage since the fortune teller had given her such, you know, a bleak reading. She was sure that the loss of this child would drive her ultimately into madness, but nope, all was temporarily well within her world. Mm temporarily she even decided to be proactive and try to prepare herself to take the curse head on as opposed to just sitting around waiting for something to happen you know leonardo befriended local gypsies and began to take lessons in divination or 
fortune telling, and she also mastered the use of Why? herbs and also mastered the use of herbs and charms. Why well, is she fucking she's, with this shit when she's got nothing good from it? She's trying to be proactive, and she's trying to, well, if the curse is real, obviously divination is real, so she's going to take it on. everything point with fortune tellers has worked out so fucking well for her. Well, she's going to become one, too. So she can <laughs> daily read shitty fortunes to herself? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, I hate you. Mm, let me read my own fortune today. Oh. I'm going to die before after everybody else again. Just I challenge you, Patrick, to keep your mind open. <laughs> it's open. I'm just... Open your mind. You look at people's patterns and you're like, why? why? It worked for her. You think anything makes sense in her world? Clearly it didn't work for her because we're fucking talking about her on a podcast about evil people. <laughs> so it did not work well for her. I'm just throwing it out there. Just let me finish. <laughs> You're okay. killing me, dude. Okay. <laughs> God, she became obsessed with her newfound spirituality and how to use it to try to protect her family. That was her goal. Hell, she even made some new friends out of her new way of life. So good for her, right? She's trying, at least. She's not just sitting back and being depressed. No, she's trying to protect her family. Her children were even allowed now to be a bit more social as well. In fact, for a snapshot in time, they were kind of happy and living in their own little slice of heaven. See, in Lacedonia, there was so much open land, farmland, that the community would hold these lovely festivals at the end of the harvest. There was music and dancing and food, and all the families would come together and enjoy each other, just having a grand old time. I've seen this movie. After wearing themselves out from dancing at the harvest festival, Raphael and Leonardo lay in the grass together and gazed up at the sky, thinking about how far they had come in life. And... All that they had been through together. And even after all this time and through all of these hardships, they still had love between them. And in that moment, an earthquake struck Lacedonia, demolishing the entirety of the town. What the fuck? The couple could literally see their home in the distance. Everything they had worked so hard for being swallowed up by the earth. You can't make this shit up. I can't make this shit up. Y'all. What? You can't. I, I don't know. <laughs> it was the 1930 Erp- Erpinia earthquake, and it was a 6.6 on the Richter scale and classified as highly destructive. The whole town of Lacedonia and surrounding areas were completely wiped out. An estimated four to 7,000 people were injured during this devastating quake, and the total number of deaths were 1,404, which is a surprisingly low number, only due to the fact that the majority of the townspeople the were at the Harvest Festival no in their at a safer distance that evening. Yeah, they weren't in the buildings. Those 1,400 people were probably in buildings that were all swallowed up and destroyed. They were not prepped for well, they earthquakes. Didn't have fucking earthquake rated buildings back in no, they didn't. 1930. Leonardo, of course. What do you think she saw this loss as? Fucking curse. Exactly. And by now, who's going to doubt her? <laughs> like the Italian La Llorona. <laughs> fucking cursed demon. The fa- <laughs> Jesus, you killed me. The family was absolutely grief-stricken at the loss of their land and their home, so they gathered what very few valuables remained, and they moved to the place that Leonardo would later put on the map, Correggio. Because remember, she is known as the soap maker of Correggio. 
So things are about to kick off, guys. But hang in there. <laughs> like it's been nothing going on already. The last 40 minutes, there's been nothing happening. <laughs> 47 kids. Things are about to get crazier. Fucking earthquake. <laughs> Shit. But hanging there, guys. We're going to take a breather and pause for an ad break. BRB. Welcome back to this uplifting tale. Yeah, reading need, Rainbow. Yeah, reading Rainbow. I need another freaking beer for the fortune teller story psycho lady that's about to happen. Oh, just wait. We're just getting started, guys. I still can't get over that. She, she went to two gypsy fortune tellers, and they were like... Everyone's going to fucking die, mm-hmm. and you're going to end up in a fucking prison in a singing asylum. And she was like, you know what? Fuck your fortunes. I'm going to make my own fucking fortunes and become a fortune teller. Like, what I else is she going to do, though? You know Stop what I mean? Stop fucking going to fortune tellers. <laughs> she going to become her own. Stop. Just don't even do it anymore. <laughs> like, stay the fuck away from it at this point. <laughs> you should. Yeah. Maybe her husband was telling her that. Like. Keep going. Keep trying until you get a fucking good one, and then we'll just hold on to that one. What's the definition of insanity? Fuck the other eight ones that fucking didn't go well. Let's get the one good one. Yeah, exactly. The definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So, Leonardo, Raphael, and their children were given... Remember, they're moving to Correggio. So, they all moved to Correggio, and they were given a very warm welcome in their new home, the town of Correggio. See, the people of Correggio had heard of the devastation in Lacedonia, and that's what us as people do. That's we welcome the newcomers, I figured right? they're like, these are, they knew these people just come from the town that was demolished by an earthquake. Right. So they're like, hey, what do you need, man? I know y'all got nothing. It was this hospitality and warmth that landed Raphael a great job. Like, with better pay than any other job he had ever had. Coconut, stop digging. Stop moving the blanket, you big doofy. <laughs> she digs in the... She's trying to get comfortable, so she has to dig. She's balling it all up on the, the bed <laughs> to make a giant mound of blanket to lay on. There's holes in the blanket. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. I'm so sorry. Okay, she's, she's satisfied with her creation. Good job, Coconut. It's beautiful work, honey. Or she's just mad because we were talking about her. I know. Coconut's a dog, by the way. We don't have an imaginary friend. <laughs> Maybe we do. Who knows? So it was this hospitality and warmth that landed Raphael this awesome job, right? And it also landed the Panzardis uh, a new home adjacent to an old defunct general store. So they had a place to live. Without the constant fear of becoming destitute just any day hanging over their head, which, by the way, is a priceless feeling, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone just felt more at ease in the family. The kids were even allowed to go out and make friends and socialize. Gosh. Leonardo, over time, found herself more and more stable and even longing for a friendship, which is something we haven't really seen her have, right? Like, woman friendship. And it just so happened that the women of Correggio found Leonardo super interesting. I mean, she was different. She was into fortune-telling. She had survived a major disaster. They thought she was a cool chick, right? Oh, God. So- <laughs> Let's see where this shit's going. <laughs> That's why I keep you on the payroll, Patrick, because your commentary is priceless. <laughs> Thank you for that input. <laughs> I'm just saying. She's going to become like the fucking town seer because she's fucking full of good luck for everybody already. Let's, let's, You're let's so freaking right. Stop. So <laughs> she was welcomed within all social circles. She even decided to utilize the abandoned general store next to her home and open up a store selling soaps 
to the community. Remember, she learned to make these soaps yeah, when not? she worked at the cleaning and went the cleaning business with the bank. And she had to provide her own cleaning supplies, yeah, so she not? learned to make it. Fuck it. But beyond selling her soaps, women would flock into her store for the odd fortune telling session. Oh, God. oh yes, you could go into Leonardo's store. Get yourself a nice glass of Italian red and have your fortune told before you purchase one of her decadent soaps. Like, it was a lucrative little enterprise she had going on here. Over time, Leonardo gained such a solid reputation as a fortune teller (laughs) that she had become kind of the unofficial advisor or, as Patrick says, the town seer. She was the person you went to, you know? Like, you go there. Like, you just go see a Leonardo about it when you have an issue. As her popularity grew, so did her interest, however, in the occult. Mm. She was always looking for ways to expand her spirituality in hopes to continue to protect her family, especially Giuseppe, her golden goose, right? That's still her number one priority. So she began dabbling in spells and magic, including... Stregenaria, and I tried very hard to learn to pronounce that. Stregenaria, which is for some reason I think I know what that is. I had Will, that's what I had Will send me the um, voice memo, and I can't say it like him, but it's a darker form of magic sometimes used to harm others or cause illness. So, this is not good. It's not good. No bueno. (laughs) Thank you, Coconut. She's just on another level. We've had to pause like twice because she's demanding attention. (laughs) She's just staring at me. So maybe, you know, her newfound occultism isn't that great. Yeah, it sounds like voodoo. Yeah, it's not a good form of magic. Sounds like dark voodoo, like black magic. It's all dark. So now Leonardo is thriving, but she still has it in the back of her mind that this curse is going to take out another member of her family. Just so happens, maybe her fear wasn't so far-fetched. Oh, God. Because Giuseppe, now a young man and a literary student at a local university, secretly signed up to go and fight in the beginning stages of World War II alongside, alongside other Axis powers. It would also give him a chance to see the world and get away from Mama. Because, I mean, she's a little overbearing. Yeah, he's probably like, I need to get away from me. <laughs> mommy won't let me leave. And he loved her, but she was very overbearing. Like, damn, let me go be a man. And what better way to go be a man than go fight in a war, right? But you can imagine Leonardo's pain and anger when she heard of his plans to go to war. I mean, he would most likely not be returning, let's be honest. I mean, they did lose. The odds were... And not in his favor at that time, to be completely honest. So she had good reason to be fearful. So after spending days weeping at the thought of losing her favorite son, she turned to her spirituality and sought help from one of her many books on Stregenaria. She found one commonality in all of the rituals, and that was the law of equivalent exchanges. Oh, God. Where is this going? Life for a life. In other words, if she wanted to save a life, Patrick's right, she would have to sacrifice a life. And she didn't just want to save any life. She had to save the most important life in her world, her son's. Now, up until this point, we've seen no violence out of Leonardo at all, right? But Leonardo 
is going to do what she needs to do to save her beloved son. So she began to meticulously prepare. She sought the right combo of herbs and oils to make a good poison, and she ultimately had to psych herself up to commit a gruesome act. And gruesome it would be. I mean, if she's doing it by poison, too, she's got the, <clears throat> she's got the whole setup. Everybody's coming in and drinking wine while they get their fortunes told. You just ding, ding, ding. Do, dose somebody's ass up. And she picked her first victim. There was an old spinster in town named Signora Faustina Setti. And at 76, she was unmarried and had no children. Mm-hmm. She had never been married, actually. It's a perfect older, almost ready to die, no one around. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect choice. However, she had never given up on the possibility of love and companionship. <laughs> she loved love, which is sweet. Anyways, she was a close friend of Leonardo's as well, and also kept regular fortune-telling appointments with her. Mm-hmm. The perfect first victim for Absolutely. Leonardo. So during one of their appointments, Leonardo explained to the elderly woman that through her work, a man in Pula, an area that would later be known as Croatia, had seen Faustina's picture somehow and was immediately love-struck. Ooh. Fell in love. Love at first sight. In fact, mm. Leonardo told Faustina that she had been exchanging letters with this gentleman on her behalf, telling him all about his future bride, and he immediately wants to meet her and marry her. Oh. Well, Faustina was so overjoyed. Like, she could hardly contain herself. So much so that she didn't question any aspect of the story. Like, how he got her picture in the first place, which was the first question I had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wondered right there. Like, oh, it's, it's known as Croatian. I'm like, how the fuck did her picture end up in Croatia? This is before Tinder, guys. So how'd that get out there? <laughs> Did she give it to a soldier that went over there and they've been passing it around? In fact, Leonardo told Faustina that she had taken it upon herself to already organize a trip to meet him. Like, that's a little weird. I would be, I mean, I'm just. I'd be like, bro, calm the fuck down for a second. Let's I'm talk not going about there. this. Like, slow down. Maybe I'm just a pessimist, but don't go. She, there was just a few issues that Leonardo needed Faustina to cover. Oh. There's just a few issues with all mm-hmm. this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Leonardo warned Faustina. See, there's a few friends around town that may not understand this spontaneous meeting, and they would so judge you. So Faustina needed to go ahead and pre-write a series of letters <laughs> describing her excitement smart. and her plan for a safe journey. It was a fucking smart. And she even said, don't worry, girl. I got you. I'll even mail these letters for you a few days after you leave. Fucking smart, man. She's covering her tracks. So if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, because this can get confusing, she basically got Faustina to write a bunch of letters effectively saying she was okay and she she had gone to Pula to meet the love of her life and not to worry that she was gone. She was being safe. So No one would think none the wiser because she's never showing up anymore. So Leonardo was covering her own ass. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that's fucking smart. She's she's pretty smart. Manipulative. That's for sure. So poor Faustina was like, absolutely, whatever it takes to meet the love of my life, because I'm 76 and I want to meet the love of my life, you know, bless her heart. So she agreed without question and spent the next few days writing as many letters as she needed and readying herself to go and meet her new husband. She swiped right, basically. (laughs) She did. On a non-existent guy. Or the left. I don't even know. I was never on Tinder. I don't either. That's why I'm I'm saying. I just know you swipe one direction. I don't know. Let us know in the comments. (laughs) 
right or left. So the morning she was supposed to leave on her long journey to Pula, she stopped by Leonardo's shop to hand her the letters to mail. And Leonardo offered her a glass of red wine to calm her nerves. Faustina noticed that the wine tasted strange, but before she had the chance to complain, her limbs grew too heavy to move, and her ability to speak was gone. It had that dank-ass poison in it. <laughs> dank-ass poison. <laughs> That's a shirt. <laughs> homegrown good shit. <laughs> dank-ass poison. <laughs> All she could do was sit and silently sit silently in panic as she watched her dear friend raise an axe over her head while muttering the words, I'm sorry. Now remember, Leonardo is not violent nor does she know how to use an axe. So although she was aiming for Faustina's head, this gets bad, guys, she missed and buried the axe deeply into Faustina's shoulder, causing an immense amount of pain. Now remember, Faustina cannot scream or even writhe in pain. She's just stuck there, unable to move. Like, it's horrifying. Tears were running down Faustina's face as Leonardo struggled to free the axe from Faustina's body, mm-hmm. stuck in her. With the next strike, Leonardo landed the axe in Faustina's skull. However, poor Faustina still did not die. It wasn't in the right spot. A wheeze of pain escaped her mouth as Leonardo tried it yet again and again. It took several horrific blows for Faustina to succumb, but she eventually closed her eyes and stopped breathing. There are pieces of her on literally every surface of the room and blood-coated every surface as well. Leonardo was, by all accounts, as she said, disgusted with herself, but this was all for her baby boy and for a cause, so she pressed on. She gathered up what was left of the body, stripped Faustina of her clothes and hair, and decided on a very specific use for it. She would render Faustina's fat to make soap. She also dried Faustina's blood and then mixed it with flour and sugar and cocoa to make tea cakes to sell. (laughs) Anyone else getting Sweeney Todd or Fight Club vibes? (laughs) Fight Club, right? Wasn't that the... Well, that's where they... Well, that's where he talks about lie and he burns his hand with it. Mm-mm. Making soap. Didn't they go in the um, dumpster at the... Was it plastic surgery to make yeah. the soap? That's where they got the. that's where they got the fat from. Yeah. The plastic surgery center from the liposuction place. Well, Leonardo was very upset when she discovered that Faustina's fat failed to make good soap. And utilizing the victim's body was part of the ritual is what I'm gathering. That's what I'm gathering because she kept going. So I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I think she does what she crazy. Said. So her evil plan was foiled. And unfortunately for Leonardo, the batch of soap she made was foul smelling and useless. So in her mind, this murder slash sacrifice was a waste and she had to try again. She didn't necessarily want to, as she would later say, but she would kill as many times as necessary to make sure she killed someone sufficiently enough that she would save her miracle boy. So she needed another victim. She got to keep going, you know? I don't fucking understand this. <laughs> okay, you what questions through, do you have? You go through all this fucking trouble to make poison. 
Why don't you just make poison that'll fucking kill her? Why do you make poison that paralyzes her so you can fucking beat her to death with an axe? I don't think she has the ability to make poisons that kill. Maybe I think it has to render blood and pain and st- I don't know. I don't know. I I I don't know, honey. You still use blood and shit afterwards. So it fucking doesn't disappear when you poison. I wish I could ask her, but. I mean, just, she did axe people to death and make soap out of them, so I don't think she'd give you a reasonable answer. It's an asinine <laughs> that you would, like, roofie them. <laughs> she did roofie them, And then she? hit them with an axe where you could have just, <laughs> and you made the roofies at home. Like, yeah. You could have just made some shit that would kill them. Do you think she's reasonable? Fuck no. That shit crazy. <laughs> I'm just saying, it just, it's fucking, she goes, she's so calculated on other aspects, but then, like, her whole, like, her whole story that she builds behind it and all this stuff that she sets up is just... Perfect. And then she's just fucking stupid. <laughs> because she's just like, I don't want to kill you with poison. I'm just going to paralyze you and beat you with an axe. And not even do it right, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I I have to tell you, I didn't even think of that, to be honest with you. But I don't know that she had the capability. But we also don't know what this spell said. Like, it could be to cause an extreme amount of pain and terror. I don't know. It was dark magic, so. I know it was a dark magic in the rituals, but the thing she's really looking for is, you know, the life for a life thing. So, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the details. Maybe it requires a certain thing for a certain thing. I Maybe. I thought Who it knows? was just a life for a life. Who knows? Well, I have, I, I'm not uh, well-versed on the ways of dark magic, so. No, I mean, I only see what, only what I see from, like, movies. movies. Yeah, I don't think that's a good. <laughs> like Vampire Diaries and shit? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I know. The originals. There's a lot of there was a lot of magic in that. Anyways, so <laughs> there was also fucking werewolves and fucking vampires, but you're fired. I know. You're sleeping outside. <laughs> Leonardo's first victim didn't hack it. No pun intended. I made that joke by the oh, way. Oh, she hacked it. I even wrote it down. She got hacked. Boom boom. And Leonardo. Fucking terrible joke, by the way. Thank you. In Leonardo's eyes, at least, it didn't work out. And that puzzled her. Like, why? She had planned it so meticulously. Everything was so perfect. The plan was fucking awful. In her eyes, it was planned so meticulously. Like, the details were planned, but the actual murder, she was like, ran out of time, was like, fuck, I'll just make it up as I do it. But what really she was struggling with was, quote, it did not, her body did not make high quality soap, end quote. Okay. Yeah. So, that's what we're dealing with, babe. So, Leonardo's mind took a sharp turn, and she decided ultimately that the blame lay at the foot of the victim, Faustina. You're bad fat. <laughs> <laughs> this is an easy one to make fun of. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucked up, that's why. <laughs> You're going to need to chill over there, okay? Because uh, with the direction this is taking, I can already hear your endless commentary. I it's mean, keep them so coming, messy. but keep them short. It's Jesus. such a train wreck. So, yeah, her baby boy Giuseppe was a miracle, heaven sent, right? Other people's lives were just lesser in comparison oh, yeah. to no his. One could, no one matters to him. So, she needed someone closer to his value to sacrifice. Not just some elderly spinster woman that no one's going to miss. I roll, right? So, that brings us to victim number two. Signora Francesca Suave. Whereas her first victim was considerably older, Francesca was younger. She was a beloved school teacher in the community, and she only quit her job to care for her ailing husband who had recently died. 
she was so admired in the community for her selflessness, just a high quality woman all around. But Francesca was a woman in need. She was out of work. She had lost both her husband and her job. And unfortunately, this also gave Leonardo an end with her. This made her just vulnerable enough to be a good victim, right? Yep. Leonardo concocted a story to bait her. She called Francesca in and told her of a much sought after job opportunity at a swanky school for all girls up in North Piacenza, I think is how you say it. Piacenza. However, Leonardo informed her that she would need to get there fast because this position was in high demand. Again, Francesca was far too excited and desperate to question anything. And she went along with Leonardo um, and just went ahead and wrote several letters to include covering crazy topics that Leonardo recommended, like what I imagined my life would be when I received this job at an upstanding and prestigious all-girls school, like what it would be like, like actually like make-believe that she was already there and writing letters about it. And she went along with it. Okay. I know. So Leonardo is quite the master manipulator and quite good at covering her ass. We have to give her that, right? She's just shitty at the murder part. Well, the first one was. She okay. gets better at it. Well, I hope. Fuck, how do you fuck it up any more than that one was? <laughs> Jesus Christ. On the day that Francesca was set to leave, she stopped by Leonardo's soap shop to drop off her letters that she had pre-written, and Leonardo offered her the now ceremonial glass of red wine to calm her nerves before the journey. And Francesca took the wine without question. I mean, duh, she's nervous. But then her body went heavy and limp and she was unable to speak. She watched helplessly as Leonardo moved several large basins right beside where she sat and then disappeared. She was probably like, what the fuck's going on? But then Leonardo returned with an ax. Leonardo, now better conditioned in the ways of killing, took only one swing to kill Francesca. Leonardo struck Francesca in the middle of the head with the axe, and blood ran down both sides of her face as she remained upright in her seat. Luck was even more so on Leonardo's side this time, because as she flayed the skin from Francesca's body, she noticed a soft, healthy layer of yellow fat. Mm. <clears throat> Gross. Fucking nasty. This, this had not been the case with poor old skinny Faustina, her first victim. Surely she'd be able to render her remains into some usable soap, right? Nope, not the case. Once again, the soaps made from her victim's fat were foul-smelling, rancid, and dark. Just completely unusable. Disgusting. However, this time, she managed to use, utilize Francesca's blood into some very tasty tea cakes. So that was a definite plus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> when Giuseppe came home from school that evening, he was fed his mother's tea cakes and then told to dispose of several buckets of strange oran orange mm, sludge out to the family septic pit. Yeah. <laughs> so without his knowledge, his mother made him complicit in the murder of this poor lady. That's not but Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this one would get you. Clearly there's like, You're squirming over there. <laughs> clearly there's like 
something wrong with just cutting fat off a human to make soap with. I mean, I think there's a whole process that goes behind it. Or- and she was so, like, all about it. We'll see. It gets worse. But, yeah. What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> Why am I so giddy to tell you this? Because I know it's hard to get you, but sometimes I know I can get you. And this gets nasty. You. <laughs> it, like, it's nasty and not like a, oh, my gosh, we've covered way worse than this. It's just gross. Like, here, take this bucket of orange goo from these dead people and pick it up. In a I, I wondered too, like, why does she have to say it's orange? Can we just leave that out, please? Like, I don't need to know a color. Can just say take the bucket of remains <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. But I know it, so I want you to know it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, thanks for that. No problem, Bob. This brings us to Leonardo's third and final victim. I guess Leonardo was focused on making successful soaps. Because she struck one final time, and she was determined to get it right. I mean, it's about the soap at this point. Shit. One could argue that she chose this victim based on social status alone, because she chose a semi-famous opera singer to be her last sacrifice, a local celebrity of sorts named Signor Virginia Cacioppo. She was a widow, but had maintained a regal air about her, and she was... Admired for her beauty and her talent. A perfect sacrifice in place of her beloved son, Giuseppe. She was also a friend of Leonardo's. Some would say they were even best friends. Mm. Yeah. But some would also say that Leonardo was very jealous and envious of her, which I can totally see. Whatever the case, Leonardo had her sights set on Virginia as her next victim. Leonardo even had a plan to lure Virginia she told her of a secretarial job in the glamorous city of Florence, a city that Virginia longed to return to. She just lacked the funding at the time. Leonardo explained to Virginia that she had heard of the sec- secretarial job opening, but not just any secretarial job. She would be the secretary of the impresario, basically someone to organize fine artistic events such as the operas that Virginia knew so well. So Virginia was, like, beyond elated. Of course, she was fed the usual line of writing letters and handing them over to Leonardo. When she was fed the usual glass of red wine before her departure to Florence, she, too, became paralyzed and watched helplessly as her BFF, Leonardo, brought the axe down on top of her skull, thankfully making it an instant death. Once all of Virginia val- Virginia's valuables were collected and all of her body parts were stripped of their fat, Leonardo became, began the process of making tea cakes and soaps, and this time, her work paid off. She would later say, and I quote, Her flesh was fat and white. When it melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. So, in 1940, if you or someone you know lived in Correggio, Italy, (laughs) it is possible that you may have bathed with a bar of Signora Virginia Cacioppo. (laughs) Woof. I'm sitting here thinking just that. I'm like, so these people in town are like, they find out, you know, whatever, years down the road or months down the road, they're like, wait. I'm fucking bathing with the opera singer's fat. Like, what the Blech. fuck? Blech. And I ate cakes made of her. Blech. 
nasty control lady. Like, what the fuck? Chilling, to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I couldn't imagine. <laughs> but things are about to get even more screwy, though. Okay. <laughs> okay. So as soon as the soap was made, she handed a piece to her beloved son, Giuseppe. Again, this maybe this is part of the ritual, so just keep an open mind. She told him to undress in front of her and head to the bathroom. He was like, no, hell no. He refused, probably because he was a grown-ass man and didn't want to get naked in front of his mom, right? That's fucking weird. But Leonardo didn't take no for an answer. She stripped his clothes off of him herself and sat him in the tub, and she washed him head to toe with the soap made from the woman that she killed for him. If that's love, I don't want it. (laughs) That's fucking sick is what it is. When the bath was over with, she wrapped him in a towel and made him eat from her new batch of tea cakes. Giuseppe was probably like, what the yeah, this is fucking weird for you, Mom. I'm like 30. <laughs> Fuck. But thankfully... Just me. I'm 30. But thankfully after this, Leonardo really did feel that the ritual was complete, so her son was now sufficiently protected and she could relax. So a sense of normalcy kind of fell over her, if that's even possible. How the fuck is anything normal with this lady? <laughs> However, one thing she did not account for was that her last victim, Virginia, had a family that was deeply concerned for her well-being, and they took notice when they hadn't heard from her. So you can imagine the shock that came over Leonardo when Virginia's sister-in-law, Albertina Albertina Fonti, came knocking at her front door, asking if Leonardo knew where her loved one was since she was the last person seen with her. Leonardo had no explanation and just slammed the door in the woman's face. Oh, yeah. Jesus, that's how you deal with it. All that planning and you can't even fucking... I know. She's like... Well, Leonardo was flabbergasted because she had been so careful, but just had no idea that Virginia had been so close with her late husband's wife. So she knew she was, like, fucked, basically. As you can imagine, Albertina alerted local authorities and Leonardo was brought in for questioning. Initially, Leonardo in her police interviews was really uncooperative at first. But once police took a look at the other two missing women in town, they noticed that all of them had mailed letters. All of the letters had relayed similar information. And here's the kicker. All of the letters had arrived around the same time. All had been mailed by the same person Giuseppe Pinsarti. Mm. So when police informed Leonardo, you know, your son's a suspect now. She was like, hell no. Exactly. That's her boy. So she caved and spilled all the tea because she was not going to incriminate her baby boy. No way. In fact, her response when police told her that Giuseppe was a person of interest was, and I quote, bring a body to court. Give me a body of any age right now and I shall prove it. So I guess she wanted to show them how she could flay a body and render it into soap, basically. Okay. (laughs) But even more damning, she knew where the bodies were, or what was left of them. She showed the police her tea cakes and soap, but not before taking them and showing them the septic tank where her failed sacrifices were dumped. 
all the orange goodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was their killer. Like, duh. No shit. Leonardo was arrested, and when asked why she did it, she gave one simple explanation, and I quote, to protect my miracle child. Oh, you're fucking crazy. Ironically, when she was behind bars, her miracle child, along with her other surviving children and husband, disowned her. No shit. Giuseppe went on to be deployed into World War II. However, by all accounts, he did survive. So maybe the sacrifice worked. Who knows? Maybe. After six years of awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a oh, war was going a war. on. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, with the war and all. Leonardo Chanchuli was convicted of murder. Just as the fortune teller said. 30 years in Pozzoli prison, followed by three years in an institution for the insane. Creepy, right? She actually did really well in prison, however. She became popular and lived an easy life compared to the one she lived on the outside. And guys, this is batshit crazy. Wait to hear this. She even decided to write her memoir. If you so choose to read it, you can. Her memoir is titled An Embittered Soul's Confessions. And I hear that it gives you super helpful hints on how to turn people into soap. In fact, is here, that a joke or is that real? It's real. Okay. In fact, here is a direct quote from her book. You're not going to believe this. <clears throat> I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved into a thick, dark mush that I had poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. Can't forget the margarine. Kneading all of the ingredients together, I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to ladies who came to visit Though Giuseppe and I also ate them. I'm honestly surprised she didn't put down the nutritional value. Like, and how many Weight Watchers points each tea cake was. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Nothing fucking goes with a good she was blood very, tea cake like margarine. She was very thorough. I felt like I was reading a Pinterest recipe blog. You know, the kind that you have to scroll down four or five pages past all the bullshit before you get to the actual recipe. Yeah. Anyways. Crazy-ass Leonardo Cianciulli died on October 15th, 1970, of natural causes. 1970. Wow. So, there's quite a bit of debate as to her intentions for these murders. If she really murdered these women as a sacrifice for her son, this makes her, if she did that, that makes her the rarest form of serial killer ever. One that's not bloodthirsty, you know? One detail often gets overlooked in her case, though. The fact that she, she stole from each of her victims, or so it seems at least. Like, their belongings were all missing. Yeah. Uh, their belongings were never found. So, are her murder motives as pure as she let on? Or did she choose her victims based on wealth, especially seeing as her last victim was considerably wealthy, like pretty wealthy. I tend to think that she was just mentally ill, is, oh, yeah. is my opinion. 100%. Yeah, that's just my humble opinion. Um, she truly believed in her mom's curse, and I think it really dictated every decision of her sad life. So 
Do you believe that she was fighting a curse or was she getting back at her mother, so to speak, and taking it out on women that resembled her mother? That's another option. It is. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of some of that in each aspect of it. All well off. Fucking shithouse crazy. (laughs) I think she was just fucking nuts. Yeah. And her life has been so messed up. Mm Mm-hmm. This curse thing had driven her to insanity. Like, she mm-hmm. literally was so... I think she was so obsessed with this curse, it literally drove her insane with... You couple that with the amount of grief and loss she struggled with for not even a long period of time, for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, just throughout this horrible, horrible grief with all the miscarriages and all the children dying. Couple that with her... It sent her. Intense, mm-hmm. you know, fixation on this curse. I think it just sent her over the edge. I think she just went fucking nuts. I'm sure maybe in her ways, like, the violence towards these upstanding noble-type women, because there's really not nobility anymore. Well, because her mother, yeah. Maybe that's her, like, you know, some psychologist, I'm sure, will sit out there and say that's her taking her un, you know, back-of-her-mind thoughts out on her mom. Well, the school teacher that she murdered, um, Francesca, uh, they said she was younger, but she was still not, like, 20s young. You know, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if this wasn't in some way, you know, murders to get back at her mom. I know there was, she, she may have justified it. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. To save her son, right? There's definitely at least more than one factor psychologist out there or, you know, mental health professional or criminal profiler out there that will tell you the violence and the, the acts of the murders being taken out on these women she was taking it out on them like she she would take it on her mom. It was her way of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. But the bottom line is she's fucking nuts. It, she slipped it, somewhere in there. She broke. She did. And after one of those losses. After and it's one so of those sad because. Earthquake maybe. I don't know what it was. It was because this broken. is not a woman who was just born evil. You know, I really don't think. I don't know if she was ever actually an evil person. I think she just broke. I think she broke. I think she was broken from I was about to say, fuck the people you. in her I mean, life. The shit that happened to her. Yeah. Broken too. Absolutely. Who could, so it's hard for me not to s- still have sympathy for her. Oh, I don't. You don't? I do. No, she fucking methodically butchered three people and turned them into fucking soap and fucking snacks that she served <laughs> in the community. There's no fucking sympathy there for her. <laughs> Life sucked for her. Little Debbie factory. Never ending bad luck sucked for her. I mean, I don't, you can say what you want, but there's no sympathy. No, like I know. you said, this bitch was serving little Debbie snack cakes <laughs> made of Miss Cleo down the street. Like Jesus Christ, Patrick, I hate you. <laughs> there's no fucking sympathy for that. You're fired. <laughs> you can't fire me. I'm a co-owner of this shit. <laughs> it's not a hostile takeover here. A hostile takeover? You and Coconut? <laughs> she left me. She's, she mad. Did. She's she, mad at me right now. She's pissed off. <laughs> well... That's a story of Leonardo Chantuli. What do you think, Pat? Yes, yeah. It's not as gruesome as most of ours, but that's definitely one of the most fucked up ones you've ever brought up. It's just so, <laughs> oh, God. It's just so batshit crazy. Like, it's just... Thank you. Like, you could... I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you could not even know in the story of Ted Bundy or even some of the other cases we've covered. Um, you know, the farmhouse murders like we recently did. Hinter Kaifak. You could... Come up with those in like writing a script to a movie. Almost, yeah. Without even knowing this, I'm saying without ever hearing about it, you could 
write that as a movie. You can predict the outcome too. Yeah. yeah. This one, you gotta be like a Eli Roth, like crazy sick motherfucker. This is like hostile. That's what I'm saying. Eli Roth, like <laughs> yeah. uh, what was that? The one with the the, the green mo- the green inferno. Oh my god, green inferno like, guys. This is on you that level it? of just so fucked up. Don't watch it. It's sick. Yeah. Human centipede level, like no. Who the fuck came up with something so screwed this is up? This not as bad as human centipede. No, it's not as bad, but who could... I'm saying no one could come up with this just to make it up. Never watch that movie, guys. Never the same after it. But this is the story of Leonardo Cianciulli, the soap maker of Correggio. And I feel like my Italian was off. I'm so sorry for those of our listeners. We apologize if we said anything wrong. You know, Anytime we do something from another country or another culture... We're not always the most versed on the pronunciations and how to say things. So we do apologize if we messed it up. She did a pretty good job, I think. I have an Italian side of my family. So if any of y'all are listening, feel free to correct us. Um, anybody out there can correct us. Any listeners or anything, feel free to correct us. We, we'd love to know if we were doing it wrong. Yep, I can take criticism. Yeah, I mean, obviously we want to... We Just we don't wanna, yell at me. Especially the victims and the talents and stuff. We want to do that correctly. We want to make sure we... Absolutely. You know, we don't want to botch them up. Well, guys, thank you so much. We missed you, and we will see you back here next weekend on Sunday, same time, same place, for another episode of Evil Pudding and True Crime Podcast. Bye.